0: <clears throat> Rachel, mm-hmm. when the Enterprise is captured on a planet ruled by a childish alien who is fascinated <laughs> with Napoleon, oh. Kirk offers his life for his crew's freedom.
1: Oh, that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> I hope the alien's an actual child like the tranya pushing one. Uh, it could be entertaining if an adult actor is playing a child, although I'm not sure of the quality of acting that they're going to get. It tends to be a little patchy with the guest star. yeah. They'll probably have someone in their twenties claiming to be 10. They're always trying to get that age difference to work. Yep. (laughs) What about the Napoleon stuff? That sounds really zany. The alien might use Napoleonic battle plans and they'll have to rely on Spock's knowledge of earth history to Mm. outmaneuver them. But then of course, everyone will resent him for talking about Napoleon at a time like this, instead of planning everyone's funerals. (laughs) 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 I don't like the idea of Kirk offering his life to save others. I hope this one ends with everyone laughing for ages again. That'll mean Kirk's okay. <laughs> Is Kirk gonna be okay? <laughs> Rachel watches Star Trek! Ship's log.
0: stardate date 2124.5. First Officer Spock reporting for Captain James Kirk. We are orbiting the lone, unrecorded planet in the Star Desert. For four hours, we have made every possible instrument sweep. But Captain Kirk and Helmsman Sulu remain unaccounted for. I have placed the ship on red alert. Oh no! Kirk! Oh my gosh, that is from the episode The Squire of Gothos from the original series of Star Trek. My name is Chris Lanky, and I am a Star Trek fan. I have convinced my wife, Rachel, to watch this show with me and talk about it on a podcast. A podcast called
1: Rachel Watches Star Trek. I just want to say thank you to Jeremy Butel for giving us that great Rachel Watches Star Trek at the beginning there. If anyone wants to send another one in, we may use it.
0: Yeah, let's get into it. <coughs> so Kirk, he doesn't disappear right away. So let's go back To the very, very beginning of the episode, the Enterprise is heading to the Beta-6 colony. They're going through a a big section of space where there are no stars, referred to as a space desert.
1: Hmm. McCoy and Kirk talk wistfully about deserts, how great they are.
0: Oh, they comment that they are 900 light years away from Earth.
1: Hey, how does that work? Wouldn't it take 900 years to get there at warp speed? (laughs) Ha ha ha, Rachel... (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> Ray, uh, warp let speed, me fill you in <laughs> warp speed is much much faster than light speed it's all a bit hand wavy in the original series because it's
1: impossible
0: well of course but they lock it down pretty well later on warp factor one is the speed of light warp factor two is eight times the speed of light Ooh. but warp factor three has been 27 times the speed of light 39 <laughs> times the speed of light and 487 <laughs> times the speed of light, it just depends on the rider.
1: And those are the only three speeds they can go?
0: Oh, no, they can go all the way up. Uh, warp 9.9, 9, I think. I think if you go to warp 10, you're basically everywhere in the universe at the same time. Whoa. And there's a few times they actually, in later Star Treks, they do warp 10, but there's weird, inconsistent side effects for doing it. So. You can't go warp factor ten, but you are right. Theoretically, you cannot travel faster than the speed of light. And warp is this idea that you can bend space time to get to a different location. So you're not actually going faster. You're squishing the space in front, space time in front of you, and expanding it behind you. So oh goodness, you're cheating. You're not actually going faster than the speed of light.
1: I think you've tried to explain this to me before, and it just ended in us having to agree to disagree. <laughs>
0: I mean, I don't think anybody really believes that this is actually possible. Mm. I'd like to hear from some of our listeners if they know any valid warp theory out there. Uh, But as far as I can tell, it's pretty much science fiction.
1: Yeah. And when I say agree to disagree, I mean agree to disagree that you could convince me that that makes any sense. (laughs) I just (laughs) just couldn't get my head around it at all.
0: they find a rogue planet which means it has no sun Ooh, it's just floating out in space not orbiting any sun huh it's made up mostly of iron silica now they don't explain where all the light is coming from because this planet is pretty well lit oh right with no sun you wouldn't be able to see it really
1: good call they claim it's inconceivable that the planet's gone unnoticed by all our records but a that happens every episode (laughs) and b do they ever explain how that could be Well, but they the thing, didn't pick up anything but it still was there.
0: They didn't scan the proper area. I mean space is flipping huge. <laughs> we haven't even mapped everything that's visible from earth. Not even close because yeah. it's basically infinitely like if you start zooming in, you can keep zooming 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 oh, in. There's just a lot. You know of... it
1: scares me, Chris? <laughs>
0: <laughs> so if they didn't have their scanners pointed the right way or focused in the right section, they could have missed it.
1: Hmm. Yet another new yeoman is handing out drinks to everyone except Ahura. We see Ahura with one later, so you generously said she might have been given hers first.
0: Yeah. Well, <laughs> she's not. She's not, Doesn't have one in her hand. It's sitting on her control desk, which seems kind yeah. of. Weird well, that's dangerous. And and possibly dangerous. We've seen the electrical issues that they <laughs> yeah. can have. So having a drink on there, maybe it's uh, beverage proof. That's something they have yeah. in the future. Yeah, good idea. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that'd be great. I noticed Ahura's very good at posing on her machinery and wondered if she'd maybe been an appliance model in the former. <laughs>
0: Korea <laughs> career Could be I, not, Let us not. know Sulu is about to steer Around the planet But then he just Disappears from the bridge <gasps> Then So does Kirk
1: <gasps> Quick go stand there Ohura You might get to be In this episode <laughs>
0: Spock orders full reverse. They search the whole ship. And they do a sensor sweep to try and find Kirk and Sulu. They can't find them and the planet seems extremely unhospitable to human life.
1: And I thought finally a planet without the same atmosphere as Earth.
0: Well, you know, those planets would be very boring. Or they would require spacesuits, Mm. uh, which would cost money Mm. and also uh, block the actors' faces. Mm -hmm. And who wants that?
1: Mm, Not me. (laughs) Spock's in charge again. And already people are challenging him for having to think and not acting immediately.
0: Then Uhura gets a message and it's an old-fashioned text.
1: Can they choose the font a text comes in on? Because this is calligraphy. <laughs> I, don't
0: I don't know if that's part of maybe the, the programming of the Enterprise. If they get incoming text, they have it on the calligraphy setting. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: But I'm guessing it's probably the way the text was sent. Probably it, usually
1: Comic Sans, isn't it? <laughs> keep it light
0: <laughs> it says greetings and felicitations hip hip hurrah tally ho
1: Bok asks ahura to transmit a reply but she doesn't type anything in and she changes the tape halfway through him saying it so i don't see how she's doing that
0: maybe she just has it uh, all ready to go and it is on a tape i don't know
1: <laughs> eh? <laughs> but spock's dictating it bock's decisive he sits in the captain's chair it looks to weigh heavily on him that kirk and sulu are in danger though and he's responsible for lives from afar this time.
0: He orders a beam down to the planet of a landing party consisting of DeSalle, Jaeger, and Dr. McCoy.
1: I have to confess thinking, not McCoy again. Really? He's wearing kind of thin on me after the last two episodes. Because he's being really snarky with Spock again. You?
0: <sighs>
1: yeah, I just don't
0: like the way he's written or mm-hmm. has been written so far. I like Force Kelly a lot, but the stuff they have coming out of his mouth is mean or nonsensical most of the time.
1: His name is DeForest?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Whoa,
1: what the heck is going on with that?
0: It's the beginning of the credits every episode, you haven't noticed that?
1: No, Just uh... ballsy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They beam in wearing oxygen masks and phaser belts.
1: But not even a jacket, of course. Is this the most obvious soundstage we've seen so far? Yeah. Just a green wall with a smattering of trees. The rocks guy uses his sensors. And of course it is Earth atmosphere after all. Just their phones don't work. (laughs) Phones. (laughs) What?
0: Communicators.
1: Flip phones.
0: Oh. The planet is supposed to be volcanic, so jackets uh, would be too warm, obviously.
1: Oh, right. Uh,
0: But they do look around and they see a castle, as you would.
1: We were confused because it looked medieval rather than Napoleon's era. Yeah. But they've gone all out budget-wise with this castle interior and exterior. (laughs) McCoy says, in the name of heaven, where are we? Been a while since we've had a religious comment. Yeah, it's
0: true. They go inside and they see a collection of mostly Earth artifacts, but then there's some aliens.
1: There's a salt vampire exhibit. And then we see there's a Kirk and Sulu one.
0: And McCoy says, they're like, waxwork figures. The door slams shut and harpsichord music starts playing. And there playing it is a guy I honestly thought was Liberace. (laughs) Yeah. It wasn't, but it sure seemed like it for a second. Because I'm like, well, Liberace was on Star Trek? Oh, wait, no, it's it's not Liberace. (laughs) Oh. He's General Trelane.
1: Retired.
0: (laughs) The Squire of Gothos.
1: (laughs) I loved his outfit. Really premium stuff this time. I enjoyed the performance from the start, actually. Oh, good. Got an old Hollywood voice. Yeah. Kind of reminded me of the Wizard of Oz's voice. I felt relieved. This guy's gonna be able to handle the character. And I wasn't even that disappointed that he wasn't an actual child. <laughs> you said our friend Chris Denner hates this actor, but I'm trying not to be swayed. I liked him.
0: <laughs> so he unfreezes Kirk and Sulu and then they come out of their fugue.
1: Oh yeah, Kirk. Jump over that rail to the ground like it's nothing. <laughs>
0: It turns out Trelane is an Earthophile, thinks he's got an accurate representation of present day Earth. The crew comments that it looks like it was actually 900 years ago, as if he was maybe viewing Earth through some kind of scope and it took the light that long to get there.
1: Hmm. 900 years? How does that work? What year is this set? He looks Edwardian and he's aware of Napoleon.
0: Yeah, well, the writers have bad math.
1: What year is it set?
0: Well, it's supposed to be uh, 200 years in our future.
1: For goodness sake.
0: <laughs> so if you do that math, it's 2160 something. We're well,
1: going back 700 from the present day if it's 900 years ago, aren't we?
0: yes so that would be like, like 1200 which is, yeah yeah so they're wrong because obviously that was in the 1800s napoleon so wrong wrong the squire is really upbeat and excited i would even say jolly mm. but he makes sure that they know that he's in control when kirk calls them prisoners he insists that they are his guests creepy
1: he's excited to talk about earth war killing and conquest he calls the humans predators one of the only species who preys on itself. Mm. That reminded me of Zanty Misfits.
0: Oh, yeah. Mm. yeah. Another commentary on the bloody interspecies murder that goes on on Earth.
1: Yeah, written by people who'd experienced war quite recently. Mm. He's incredibly camp by today's standards. We're all military men under the skin. Wink. <laughs> and how we do love our uniforms. <laughs> at least you could wear that uniform at a wedding. And it'd look good. <laughs> for a change. One guy stinks up
0: with a phaser, but Trelaine seizes reflection in the mirror and freezes him with a wave of his hand.
1: He's still jaunty and upbeat, though, despite the attempt on his life, takes the phaser and gets excited that it could kill millions. Mm-hmm. then zaps away his salt vampire. There's menacing music as he asserts his power over them.
0: He tells them about his machine, which he can convert matter into energy and back. He goes on to say that he can alter the shape of matter at will. Kirk demands to be released, but the squire teleports Kirk outside of the area of the earth-like environment, and he chokes for a few seconds. Then the squire teleports him back. The squire says that was a demonstration of the planet outside my kindly influence. Mm. He then tells them to behave or he'll get very very angry
1: reminded me of a cult maybe or an abusive relationship that sense of the world is dangerous out there you need me to protect you Uh, from it (laughs) despite the actors interest in performance though it had already started dragging by this point for me
0: yeah and me as well um back on the enterprise they can't figure out what this bubble is it's not reading any life but it's got the right atmosphere so Spock's like, I don't don't know what's going on. And he says, Scotty, beam up any life forms you could find from the planet.
1: Oh, Spock, beam up all life. Anything could beam in. (laughs) So for sure, he's going to get a large security crew near the little stage and have a lockdown on the area.
0: (laughs) Back in the Squire's castle. No. (laughs) Sulu asks, who is this madman? And McCoy reports there's no trace of life on or coming off of Trelane. Like he doesn't exist
1: so kirk tries to negotiate their exit if you admire our species respect our sense of duty to our ship you'll let us go but Trelane says i'm bored you must stay
0: kirk <laughs> says there are women on the ship hoping this will convince him but Trelane is excited to meet them and very campily demands to uh, on the sly mccoy tells kirk that he's getting a transporter signal through his communicator so the gang is beamed up And the squire throws a bit of a tantrum.
1: Spock walks into the transporter room as they beam in. No one was there when they arrived. (laughs) Could have been any life form, any number of them. Say a pack of the giants from the last episode, maybe. And the sliding door was fully openable. (laughs) Come on!
0: (laughs) So Trelane was not a life form, so he didn't get beamed up.
1: Uhura asks McCoy, what was down there? Well, it was a... Oh, forget it. (laughs) what do you make of that well
0: he was he was like do i want to go into a really long explanation and he's like no i don't it's too long to get into
1: she's not worth it oh.
0: Oh. i would be really excited to tell her about yeah. everything
1: i'll do impressions yeah. a picture of him
0: <laughs> everyone gets on the bridge as they're ready to go but then the squire appears
1: Now he's wearing a long velvet embroidered cape to match his frock (laughs) coat. (laughs) I'm just loving these costumes. They're so much better than the cobbled together sacks that they usually put these uh, extra characters in. True. He's surprised they don't display their weapons. it made me wonder, what do you think about the representation of weapons on Star Trek? All right. Well, they are very small. Yeah, they're not for show, are they?
0: I think it's about downplaying weaponry and violence Mm. and focusing on... Uh, diplomacy and yeah. and working things out.
1: And Perfect. then Kirk in and phasering people if it doesn't work <laughs> out, but trying that first.
0: Right, yes. The Squire blames Spock for beaming them away.
1: Don't fret, Captain. I'm only a bit upset with you. But this Mr. Spock you mentioned, the one responsible for that unseemly, imputed act of taking you from me, which is he? I'm Spock. Oh, surely not an officer. Isn't quite human, is he? My father is from the planet Vulcan. And are its natives predatory? Not generally. But there have been exceptions. Really? (laughs) You will see to his punishment? On the contrary, I commend his action. But I don't like him. (laughs) (laughs) He pops them all back to the castle and asks, isn't this better? Sulu, no, (laughs) he's very dry in this episode, I like it.
0: There are more this time. It's Kirk, Spock, McCoy, Uhura, DeSalle, Jaeger, Sulu, and Yeoman Ross. The dining room table has now been set up with a sprawling meal. DeSalle tries to attack Trelane, but gets frozen. Kirk demands that Trelane release him, and the squire does. As the squire blathers on, the crew start to notice strange things. The fire doesn't give off any heat. Mm -hmm. The food and the wine taste like nothing. It's all very strange. Kirk remarks that all the squire knows about Earth is what he can see and hear. So there are limits to his knowledge and understanding. So this power can't just be his alone. He must be being supported by some kind of technology or a machine.
1: How the b**** can he hear Earth to the extent that he can learn a language <laughs> and learn Earth history?
0: He could lip read? I don't know. Well, yeah, what <laughs> <laughs> kind of bloody...
1: Scope is this?
0: It doesn't make any sense because if it was a scope, all he would see are the tops of people's heads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and building roofs, like you wouldn't see inside anything. Oh
1: yeah, I suppose he could read over people's shoulders who were wandering about. <laughs> That's about it. He's
0: got advanced alien technology mm. that only travels at the speed of light.
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> Trillane forces Kirk to introduce him to Uhura and Yeoman Ross, the charming contingent. <laughs> he calls Uhura a Nubian prize, taken on one of your raids of conquest, no doubt, and refers to Ross as Helen of Troy. yeah. The first reference there to Ahura's race presented as antiquated, All I guess, right. yeah. and accompanied by the assumption that she was taken as a slave. Yeah, mm. that's
0: the fr- I think that's the first time they've pointed out that she's black. Yeah. He decides Spock's tone is challenging and Spock says, I object to intellect without discipline. I object to power without constructive purpose.
1: Mm, what do you think of that? Well, I guess
0: he is saying that if you've got vast knowledge that that makes you powerful in a way and that... If you're powerful and you're not using it constructively, that that's dangerous.
1: It's like Spider-Man.
0: You mean with great power comes Mm. great responsibility.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Trelane fancies a dance with Ross, so he makes it so that Ahura can play the harpsichord and magics a long silk Georgian dress onto Ross, and now she knows his dance. Consent, anyone?
0: <laughs> no. The
1: guys do nothing, the girls don't uh, complain. No,
0: they don't complain, and yeah, Uhura actually seems to be really digging playing the harpsichord. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. It's like she's being puppeteered, but then she kind of gets into it Yeah, the jiggle of her head and stuff. <laughs> Trelane feels so powerful, he doesn't mind the guys plotting on the other side of the room while he's distracted. He likes it as he's so interested in human war and strategy. Mm-hmm. Do you think perhaps the harpsichord is the least romantic <laughs> instrument available <laughs> in the world? <laughs> can you think of any others? I
0: know you don't like the harpsichord, mm-hmm. but I I do have a soft spot in the harpsichord Ooh. due to the Adams family. <laughs> okay. Cuz yeah. Lurch would play the harpsichord and then Morticia and Gomez would dance to it. Oh. So for me, you know, it is a little romantic.
1: I can get on board with that then. <laughs> Maybe the cymbals would be worse. <laughs>
0: The men discuss strategy.
1: McCoy's already making it very clear he's weary of Spock's logic already. And we're only partway through the first of three seasons.
0: Kirk realizes that Trelane never moves far from the mirror. He thinks it's not just his vanity, but maybe that the mirror is actually the machine. And he also conjectures that the machine must be vast to be able to support the planet's atmosphere and translate energy into matter. The squire starts flirting with Yeoman Ross and then Kirk seems to get jealous.
1: Yeah, he's faking it. And Mm. so he pretends to get angry and takes off one of Ross's long gloves and hits Trelane in the face with it. (laughs) Kirk demands a jewel. Trelane is delighted. (laughs) Fighting for the attention, admiration, possession of women. Talking about that as a human trait.
0: Trelane demands he take the first shot rather than firing together, which is mm. weird to me. My game, my rules. <laughs> if Kirk doesn't accept this, he's going to shoot Spock.
1: And he points the pistol at Spock. Kirk chooses Spock over himself, of course. And when Spock protests, he shuts him down with a very stern headshake.
0: shake. <laughs> <laughs> Trelane fires the gun into the ceiling and invites Kirk to shoot at him. He goes, and now, Captain, my fate is in your hands.
1: Any idea why he would do any of this? Well, I think he's playing
0: with him. The guns can't possibly hurt the squire. I mean, uh. he's the one that set up all the rules. So there's no way that he wants to see if Kirk is going to just try and shoot him, I mm. think. But the mirror seems totally vulnerable for some reason. <laughs> why that is? Why he would make right. a gun that could damage his mirror? I don't get it. So Kirk does shoot the mirror and the glass falls and you see behind it is all this
1: tech and then the fire goes out. But why does everything else stay the same, including <laughs> Trelane, if the machine doesn't work anymore?
0: Yeah, it's the fire goes out and that's it, mm. but the building's still there, all the atmosphere's there, so I, I, I don't know. The crew escapes again with the squire yelling after them, you're
1: all dead. You especially, Captain. You'll be especially dead. <laughs>
0: <laughs> These lines uh, play a little bit better when you know that he's a kid.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm, spoiler alert.
1: Oh, spoiler alert. <laughs> Back on the bridge, why does Ross's Georgian dress still exist?
0: Oh, yeah, she should be totally buck naked.
1: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Kirk's eyes follow her out, and he looks kind of goofy and disbelieving.
0: As they fly away from the planet, they run into another planet. But wait, <gasps> it's the same planet, Trelane's planet. They try to fly away again, but the planet keeps coming in front of them.
1: Any idea how Trelane's doing this?
0: Maybe it's an illusion. Maybe he's teleporting the Enterprise.
1: Oh, yeah. I don't know. Kirk announces he will beam down alone. Leave me there if there's no signal from me in one hour.
0: Kirk appears in a dark room with a judge's bench and witness stand. The Squire has done this whole oldie-style courtroom with a wig, Hmm. Fun fact, Mm -hmm. William Campbell, the actor who plays the Squire, was not happy with a French wig that they were going to have him wear for this (laughs) scene. And he demanded an English barrister's wig. Oh,
1: goodness. Shatner
0: was totally annoyed with this Mm -hmm. and that he was holding up production on such a crappy detail as a... Wig. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, wait, look, look what we're doing. This is ridiculous. (laughs) Who cares about your wig? (laughs)
1: This guy's method.
0: But this guy was really serious about it. So the director of the episode didn't want to piss off Shatner and he didn't want to piss off this guy because he needed to get the production done. So he goes to Kuhn, who's the producer and he had him sort it all out, but he sided with Campbell.
1: Oh. Because the character's so detail oriented. I
0: guess. All right. He just liked it or whatever. And that is why the wig is so freaking amazing. You know, that's why. <laughs> it's the star of the
1: show, really. It
0: really sold the whole episode, that wig.
1: <laughs> Maybe if Shadow had been listened to this one time, he wouldn't have had to go off on people mm. so much in later yeah. years.
0: With all the other consistencies, why raise think about the wig? Mm-hmm. Anyway, he's the judge, mm. a hyper intelligent, really powerful alien judge mm. this is going to be a trope in star trek
1: well you got to get used out of the wig now
0: <laughs> i think it's the only one with a wig
1: oh
0: but there's always these advanced aliens judging i think even mm. the next episode i think we've got oh. that as well oh my gosh
1: yeah <laughs> so he's manifested himself as a representation of earthly power mm-hmm. he's no longer chirpy in this judge role he's very stern And there's a shadow of a noose on the
0: wall. Oh, yes. Trelane, the squire, says that Kirk is to be hung until dead for his disobedience. Kirk comments they made him angry with their will to survive. We are living
1: beings, not playthings. Mm. Trelane seems pleased to have got himself genuinely angry and to be noticed as such by Kirk. He derobes and gets chirpy again. He's still going to hang Kirk, though. (laughs) Kirk's got some strategy to play with, an idea to manipulate Trelane. He tells Trelane that he can kill him, but it's all too easy. What he needs is a challenge, a hunt.
0: Trelane is delighted at the prospect of terror, suspense, and fun, and agrees.
1: I thought, how are they going to manage a hunt through the woods on their budget? (laughs) And B, how long is this episode going to go on for?
0: Yeah. I think the problem with this episode is that there's no real escalation of stakes through Mm. the whole thing. It starts off vaguely threatening, and it just stays that way. Until he says he's going to kill Kirk. Which we know he won't do. Yeah, but then takes his time to do so. It's all very one note, Mm. the whole episode. They do the same type of thing later on, but much more effectively. Uh. Kirk requests that Trelane make it worth his while by freeing his ship and letting him contact them to say that they can go.
1: Outside, Kirk faffs around trying to contact the ship while Trelane counts to ten, I guess and then just pops out and finds him immediately. Kirk runs away vaguely while prioritizing contacting the ship. Mm -hmm. Trelane casually slices a big branch off with the sword but then Kirk uses a bit of branch to block chops from the sword and it remains intact, just a piece of
0: wood. Yeah, not very consistent
1: really. Kirk does manage a swing from a tree branch though in a kick to the chest. <laughs> he takes Trelane's sword but before he can stab him Trelane pops out and then returns via green screen and then the sword pops into his hand. But where was this technology when they did the giants last time? <laughs> <laughs> that would have been great for the uh, giants episode.
0: Yeah. Kirk says that he's beaten but not defeated.
1: Kirk lunges at Trelane and grabs his sword by the blade. Wouldn't that slice through his hand? Yeah, well maybe he just grabs it on the
0: flat, the side. There's only one sharp part of a blade. I don't know. <laughs> or
1: two. Then breaks it over his knee. Wouldn't that chop his leg off?
0: No, if he did it on the flat,
1: the flat of the <laughs> blade, right. yeah. yeah. And then slaps him about the face. Trelaine says, "You cheated.
0: I'll show you." But then a god from a machine comes rolling in. Mm. Trelaine's mom and dad. <laughs> And there are big blobs of green energy in the sky.
1: I was pleased by this bit. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it rounded it off nicely. <laughs> An interesting use of deus ex machina. And I found it funny because it was so silly, but yet relatable somehow as a parent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but you said I could. You promised. I'd never have any fun. Stop
0: that nonsense at once, or you'll not be permitted to make any more planets. Oh, but you saw... I was winning, I would've won, honest. No Trillane. No Trillane. I would've, I would've, I would've, I would, I would.
1: Winning seems to have been so important to Trillane. Hmm. And I loved the parents, stop or you won't be permitted to make any more planets.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So Trillane was just a child. It makes sense. It's, to me, kind of lame, but it makes sense. I guess that's why they don't have him do permanent stuff. Because if he was a child, if you revealed that and he was, like, murdering people, Mm. then it would be creepy. Mm
1: -hmm. It's
0: not really actually dangerous in this episode. He just seems like he might be dangerous. The
1: parents gave the instruction way too many times before docking his TV time, though, (laughs) to come up.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) So later on in the Enterprise, Spock asks Kirk how to put all this craziness in the report. Mm -hmm. Kirk tells him to classify it as a small boy and a very naughty one at that.
1: It will make a strange entry in the library, Banks. But then he was a very strange small boy. On the other hand, he was probably doing things comparable to the same mischievous pranks you played when you were a boy. Mischievous pranks, Captain? Yes, Dipping little girls' curls and in ink wells, stealing apples from the neighbors' trees, tying cans on. Forgive me. Mr. Spock. I should have known better. I shall be delighted, Captain. I shall be delighted? I don't get it what does he mean by that just that he'll be delighted to forgive him i guess why don't you ever understand your <laughs> beloved spark <Spock's> last <laughs> comments
0: on the episode? it just seems weird it's i should have known better i shall be delighted but i shall be delighted is the forgive me
1: i think so. yeah okay
0: okay it's just i don't know the phrased in weird ways and also all the references Uh, that Kirk made were to earth children in the late 19th century, early 20th century. Inkwells dipping hair. What? That's a very antiquated. I mean, maybe the people that wrote the show when they were kids mm, yeah they did that but why
1: would kirk have any awareness of that or think that spock would
0: yeah it's really bizarre that's
1: odd it seemed clunky and unreal that scene as they often do these last finish off let's be funny about spock scenes yeah lots of spock looking vaguely surprised and raising an eyebrow yeah. groan <laughs> <laughs> at least they don't all laugh for ages about it though yes they knew they couldn't get away with it this time
0: wasn't <laughs> <laughs> funny all right, let's get into our categories. Entertainment. Hmm. Uh it was pretty boring. Hmm. I liked Campbell, uh but the story was weak sauce. Um <laughs> yeah. it went to a place and hung there for most of the episode. Mm. So I just give it a 3.
1: Promising at first, Zene. I thought the crew kind of killed the entertainment stone dead again and again with their understated stoicism. Mm. So Campbell couldn't really get any momentum going. Mm, yeah. We did have a sword fight with swinging from a tree and things popping in and out and parents made a light but (laughs) human sounding. That was all good. It really should have been more fun. Trelane probably agrees. (laughs) Maybe after a few weeks, the Stockholm Syndrome would have set in and they'd all get into the party a bit more. (laughs) I'll give it a three, two.
0: All right concepts i thought the idea was interesting a very powerful alien child and mm. and how it would seem to us but i thought it was executed poorly however the idea is interesting mm. so uh four
1: i've just got a few questions still okay. um if there was no trace of life coming from Trelane, why did his parents tell him to come back up
0: oh i think he is an energy being He doesn't have like a physical form like we do. He's just made up of energy and that's why the sensors didn't pick him up.
1: But they wouldn't be able to sense that there was energy, a ball of energy there?
0: Uh, Well, maybe his energy was spread out over a whole area.
1: Mm, He might have been the whole room.
0: It could have been the whole room or the whole sphere. It could have been maybe in another dimension. Maybe they don't exist in regular space time. I mean, it could be anything
1: really. Mm -hmm. He seemed to want to experience the fullest emotion of conquest. Which I found kind of interesting. And he seemed to need Kirk's approval somehow. He was pleased when Kirk had commented that he'd been angry. He needed to be seen by him or something.
0: Conflict is very dramatic and exciting. Mm -hmm. And and the stakes are very high, especially in war and any kind of uh, violence. So Trillane probably being of this weird energy species Mm -hmm. uh, to him, that would be exciting.
1: Yeah, maybe they're so advanced that they're post-conflict.
0: And then maybe his um, wanting Kirk to accept him... Could be about Kirk was acting in a responsible manner, mm-hmm. like his parents would be. So he
1: mm-hmm.
0: getting Kirk's approval would be like getting his parents' approval.
1: Yeah, yeah. Maybe. I get how he could freeze people and mm-hmm. beam them in and out, kind mm-hmm. of. But how could he mind control her into playing the piano and Ross into dancing?
0: Maybe he was puppeteering them.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, like they weren't
0: actually mind controlled. He was just sort of, you know, using force fields to move their arms and things around i
1: don't know yeah force fields Hmm. and how the balls could he create that whole character that speaks like that and knows all the affectations Uh, through some kind of viewing scope to a planet 900 light years away
0: (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i'm i'm pretty stumped on that one but the idea of it was fun their technology is so advanced that we can't understand how it works i mean that didn't bother me that didn't Hmm. bother me
1: I didn't understand their reasoning that because he's fallible, he must have a machine helping him. Just because it proves he's not godlike.
0: Yeah, no, I thought that was a jump on logic myself. Because mm. why couldn't he be able to do all that stuff himself? If he's a being of energy, maybe mm. he could just mentally use his energy to deconstruct and reconstruct matter and do all the things that he's doing. So Yeah,
1: but still just not have all the data.
0: I think it's a bad writing habit. There's a lot of times in, in these TV shows and movies where people will come up with a theory and that theory is absolutely dead on. Mm. And they just seem to pluck it out of thin mm. air. And that's i mean kind of what they did. He goes, well, if he's doing this, he must be a machine. And if there's a machine, I bet it's that thing that he's looking at all the time. Yeah. Like,
1: mm,
0: eh, that's There's a logic. lot of leaps in logic. I mean, he could have been looking at the mirror because he was vain. Yeah. Even if he was looking at the mirror or being close to the mirror, he then teleports up to the ship. So that's pretty far from the mirror. Mm-hmm. Uh, So Mm. that whole theory about him being close to the mirror doesn't really hold any water. Again, it seemed to be hastily written.
1: Mm, Which I guess it would have been if they're trying to churn these out. Yeah, Yeah. Few on the money observations from Trulane, though, I thought. Mm -hmm. um, Fighting for the attention, admiration and possession of women as a human trait. Sadly, perhaps accurate.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, Displaying weapons, talking about humans as predators. So there was some interesting, perhaps, Hmm. uh, observations there. Yeah. I'll go three.
0: So sexiness. Pervy guy gives it a negative score but her is in it, so for her alone just being there, it gets a two. Do
1: you think he was pervy?
0: Well, I guess he wasn't. He was too camped to be pervy, really.
1: He was just excited that there were women in his life, finally. And he, he made
0: to... them do stuff, so yeah, that's that, pervy. that's pervy. He wasn't doing it for sexual gratification. It didn't seem to be. He yeah. Just, it, but just the fact that he was controlling and pe- making people do puppety things. That's not sexy. To me. Uh, maybe you're <laughs> in <into laughs> that. Call me old-fashioned.
1: <laughs> 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 making people play the harpsichord. <laughs> Doug doesn't turn you on anymore, Chris. (laughs) I imagine the mum and dad's sex life's quite good, though. (laughs) Imagine how much time they get together. He's always off making planets.
0: (laughs) Uh, What do you give it then for sexiness?
1: Two? All right. (laughs) Kirk was in it. (laughs) So was (laughs) Ahura.
0: So our next episode is one of my personal favorites, oh. Arena. Oh, okay. And this one also takes place at Vesquez Rocks.
1: Ooh. So get
0: excited. <laughs> I want to also mention we've got more packers on our patreon site and i want to give a little shout out to all these people and rachel i've done some more research on our listeners and so oh, we've got some
1: where do you find the time
0: it's it's a lot of work they're
1: they... an interesting bunch aren't they our listeners. they are
0: i want to thank new patron sean Sunzer. sean once won a game of gin rummy against clint
1: eastwood jim Morphis gas was the first person in his family to ask for a cup of tea instead of a cup of hot tea <laughs>
0: Mike Murphy is actually the father of Officer Murphy from the Robocop films.
1: Jeremy Impson designs eyebrows for a living.
0: (laughs) Daniel Restione repairs ships and relationships.
1: Richard Sullivan has the world's largest alpaca ornament collection.
0: (laughs) Alan Ricks likes to lay bricks.
1: Alison Scott would really like a telescope
0: dan pratt can see through time
1: gail underreiner 3d printed her house
0: wow andrew buchanan nicknamed bucky once lulled a savage bear to sleep with but a song
1: hb loveshaft loves to go into a bakery shop and look at all the pastries and then say hmm maybe tomorrow
0: Lepreowon has been running a Shadowrun game for 12 years.
1: Brittany Elmer can talk whilst gargling carrot juice.
0: Doug McCool was born with bat wings. His parents removed them Aww. when he was a baby. And, and then
1: gave them to him as his 18th birthday present.
0: When he would be mature enough to use them.
1: <laughs> David Buswell-Wibble sometimes raises an eyebrow to himself in the mirror.
0: <laughs> Damon Revelette, or Revelay is consumed by his growing hunger.
1: Mikel Scalini will always save a seat for you at the cinema.
0: Christine Marie Anderson is a
1: professional bounty hunter. And Jeremy Butel is so interested in genealogy that he's worked out his future family tree.
0: And that's it. We probably have a few more coming. And if and when we do, we'll be sure to mention you on the show. Thank you for your support.
1: Thank you so much indeed.
0: And with that, I'm Chris
1: Lackey. And I'm Rachel Lackey. And you've been listening to... Rachel Watches Star Trek. Watching Star Trek!